Welcome to Smith Memorial Online. We're glad you joined us today. We're located in Collinsville, Virginia. At Smith Memorial, our motto is simple, follow Jesus. We'd like to encourage you to check us out online, www.smithmemorialumc.com. There you can find out more information about us, opportunities to serve, and ways to support this ministry through giving. We pray that God would add blessing this day to the hearing and the doing of God's Word. gospel lesson begins Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took with them in a boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was beginning to be swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with a great awe, and they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the uh, Gerasenes. And when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain, for he had often been restrained with shackles and chains. But the chains were riched apart, and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he bowed down before him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now there on the hillside, a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out, and they entered into the swine and the herd, and the numbering about 2,000 rushed down to the steep bank into the sea, and they were drowned in the sea. The swine herds ran off and told it to the city and the country. Then people came to see what it it was that had happened. They came to Jesus, and they saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. 
the very man who had the legion and they were afraid of. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Friends, this is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Merciful God, we come before you and we acknowledge that we have two ways to go about this. We can stand before you concerned only with ourselves. Jesus, what are you going to do for us? And in so doing, God, we, we act like the disciples on the boat. Do you not care that we are perishing? We act like that crowd that came to the demoniac and heard that Jesus had healed him and said, don't go in here stirring us all up. Depart from us. Or God, we might be like the demoniac ourselves. Having been healed by you, we traverse back into our homes to share of the mercy that you have bestowed upon us. Help us to make the right choices today. Place the cross before me, let none see me but you and your grace alone. Amen. As I was preparing for this sermon, the, the passage that the lectionary picks was actually only verse 35 through 41. It was the story of the disciples at sea. They're on the boat, of course. Jesus had just finished teaching. He had told the parable of the mustard seed. He had told the parable of uh, the mustard seed. He had told the parable of the sower. He told the parable of the lamp underneath of a bushel or a blanket. He was teaching people on a hillside about faith. What does it mean to live in the kingdom of God? And then on that same day that he was sharing this message with them, he got on a boat with his disciples. Now notice his disciples were the ones that urged him onto the boat to begin with. They said to him, let us go to the other side. Let us leave this crowd behind and let's move away. And you all know this story very well. Even if you haven't read it, you've heard it. They're on the boat. Jesus has his nice, comfortable neck pillow on. Snoozing in the passenger seat, Samantha. And all of a sudden, a great storm arises. And when the storm arises, everyone is in complete panic mode. Batten down the hatches. Seal off everything. Don't let anything in. Don't let anything out. Kind of sounds like church nowadays. 
And then the people inside of the boat yell and they scream to Jesus, Jesus, teacher, wake up. Do you not care that we are perishing? That one little line, that one little line is what spurred this entire sermon forward. Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? Friends, always be careful of the questions you ask to God. Because you might just get a response that you were not looking for. Don't you care about us, Jesus? All of your friends on this boat, all of your friends inside of this church, don't you care about the fact that we are perishing? Revive us, save us, make these pews filled again, save us, God. Us here, in this boat, with you. There's another little line in this passage that said there were other boats with them. Notice the disciples didn't say, save us, and and let's not forget about the other boats that are around us. They need your help too. Jesus, save us. Save just us. And of course, Jesus does. And they ask the question, Who is this man that even the winds and the seas obey him? This question that they ask as if Mark is saying to all of us, read on, gentle reader, read on. If you really want to know who this man is, if you really want to know if this man is concerned about his people perishing, read on. Because you might be surprised what you find. You see, so these people, they hop on the boat to flee from the crowds. They find themselves on the sea, and the sea gets rough. And then it turns into a teaching moment when they get to the other side. I can imagine what that was like for them, being out there on the raging seas. I remember when I was younger, I would go out all the time with my grandfather. My grandfather was a a coast guard. And, and he was, became so terrified by the water that if there was little tiny ripples, he, it's too windy today, we can't take the boat out. You know, that was the type of person my grandfather was. And I remember when we were on this boat one time, the, a storm, which storms naturally do on large bodies of water, they just sneak up on you. And I remember my grandfather telling us, reel in your fishing rods, and we take off. And I watch as the rain, like, steadily creeps up to us. I'm sitting in the the bow of the boat, and I look back, and my dad and my grandfather are being soaked with rain, and yet I'm not getting wet at all. We were perfectly in line with the storm moving forward. It was actually quite amazing. But I remember the look on my grandfather's face when we made it into the marina. It was a sense of relief. We made it. We're safe. 
I imagine that was the look of the people's faces who were in the boats with Jesus. I imagine them jumping out of the boat and kissing the sand, not worried about the particles being stuck in their beards. We're safe. We made it. And it was at just at that moment that the people look up and they found themselves anything but safe. They look up and they find this man who had been tried to be controlled for so long, but not even the shackles can hold him anymore. This man is filled with demons. Legions, meaning he's filled with thousands. And he lives among the tombs. He lives amongst the spaces of the dead. He is an outcast to society. He is unrestrainable, uncontrollable, and unwanted. And what does Jesus do? He heals him. He heals him. As soon as this episode is over, Starting in verse 21 and following, I don't want to get too much into it because Bob's going to be preaching on it later. We find a man by the name of Jairus. He's a high priest amongst the people of Israel. And his daughter is deathly sick. The story then has this little interlude inside of it where Jesus is in a crowd, and here comes a woman who is socially unacceptable, spiritually unclean, separated also from society because she is a woman who has been hemorrhaging for quite some time. And what happens when she encounters Jesus? He heals her. And then the story jumps back and things have progressed because at the beginning of the story, Jairus' daughter was sick, but now at the end of the hemorrhaging woman, she is dead. Literally, not just cut off from society, but cut off from life. And what does Jesus do? He heals her. Can you imagine these people not the people who are sitting inside of the pews, not the people who are on the boats crying out to Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we, are, we don't have the numbers we once had? Do you not care? Can you imagine that same sentence on the mouth of these people? Those who have been cast to the outskirts of our society asking our same God the same question, Jesus do you not care that I, someone who has been relegated to the tombs, someone who has been cut off from society, someone who is suffering from a medical condition that cannot find healing, do you not care that I am perishing? You see, some in our society today and this is what saddens me more than anything. Some in our society today are crying out to Jesus. Jesus, don't you care 
that we are perishing. Don't you care that we have become a godless society? Don't you care that we are a nation of laws that need to be upheld? Don't you care, Jesus? Why don't you save us? Us. Why don't you save me from them? That's what we're really trying to say. You see, friends, I think that the Gospel of Mark, these episodes in particular, help to offer us a lens through which Jesus might answer our questions. You see, I think that Jesus might answer, sure, I really care that you are perishing. And I think Jesus means that. I certainly do care. Sure, I care that people are flocking away from the community of faith in large numbers. I truly believe Jesus cares about that. But I also think that Mark wants us to hear Jesus say, Sure, I care. But lest you think the extent of my care only extends to you, let me remind you how much further the extent of my care is willing to go. I think today Jesus might say, I care that you are perishing. But I also care deeply about those on the fringes of society who are being blasted by the waves of neglect, violence, and even hate in my name. I care, Jesus might say. I care about young mothers, young fathers, and children looking for a place to call home. I care about that. I care for the outcasted son or daughter whose self-worth is being crushed by a society, telling them who they really are while neglecting to hear their own voice and experience of who they say they were meant to be. I think Jesus cares about that. Last night, I came to the conclusion that perhaps Jesus cares and perhaps I could have cared more. For the woman at the omelet shop who works two jobs to get by between taking our order and serving other customers, she washed the dishes with the tears that poured down her face as she struggled to hold back them from every table she served. I think Jesus says, I care. You see, the disciples wanted to know if Jesus cared that they were perishing. But Mark strategically points us to another insight of Jesus, pointing us to expand the scope of Jesus' salvific work, lest we become the crowd who sees what Jesus has done and we say, certainly that wasn't meant for him. Leave us, please, because our God does not fit into that mold. We worship a God that says, in the midst of your own life's storms, I will still the seas. And you can count on it. But don't think for one second, don't forget for one second 
that I don't also care for the one who's perishing, even though you think they might be the worst of the worst. The one that is wholly other than you. Little did you know, I care deeply about them too. So all of us who have received grace upon grace from God, may we not be the crowd who sends a God bigger than our imaginations away. Might we be like the demoniac and go and share of the storms that God has ceased in our lives and offer hope to even the ones who reside in the tombs that God cares that they are perishing as well. May this be our prayer. Amen. Let us pray. God, we have, as the demoniac has, we have a story to tell to the nations. A story that will turn their hearts back to the right. But may it be a story, God, of grace. First and foremost. Of a God who goes into the places that we ourselves are not willing to go to offer hope and light to those who need to hear it the most. We all gather here, God, with storms in our own lives. And we ask that you would intercede and heal and calm them. But may we be a people who are also outwardly focused to realize that our storms are just a part of a larger network of storms that all of our brothers and sisters are facing. May we ask not just for our storm to be calmed, but may we care for those others who are on the seas with us. For we ask these things in your Son's name.